a science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Clutter, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are about Anne, Tissa, Patient. You know those feelings of excitement, expectation, and hope? You remember those feelings, right? I'm sure it's like the feeling you get as a scientist right before a big experiment, or before defending your PhD thesis. Or maybe not. As a non-scientist, I just realized it's the beginning of summer break for a lot of kids out there. And I can't help but think back to that feeling you got right before school let out for the summer. That undeniable hope for an epic summer filled with adventures, tons of ice cream, and maybe, just maybe, you'd transform enough over the summer break that your school crush would notice you when you got back in the fall. No, just me. Each year, I would make a summer to-do list of all the things I wanted to do during the summer break, because obviously that's the kind of person I am. And inevitably, I was always a bit too ambitious and never really lived up to my own expectations of how my summer would go. But that's the thing about anticipation. Sometimes you overhype the thing in your mind, and other times it totally lives up to the excitement. Our first story is from science journalist Nicholas St. Fleur. It was recorded in June 2022 at our annual Proton Prom fundraiser at the Bell House in New York. So I had spent a year preparing for one minute, for two minutes and 38 seconds of darkness. So this was back in 2017, and I was a science reporter for the New York Times. Um, my beat included a, a bit of space. So the science desk at the New York Times has two titans covering space. There's Ken Chang, who covers space, you know, everything within the solar system. And then there's Dennis Overby, who covers everything outside of the solar system. <laughs> and then there's me, Nick St. Fleur, who covers all the cosmic debris that kind of falls, falls through the cracks, if you will. So I was writing a lot about backyard astronomy. So meteor showers, planetary alignments, lunar eclipses, and total solar eclipses. Okay, so I was writing this story about this astronomer named Jay Pasikoff, who was getting ready to witness an eclipse off an island off the coast of Madagascar. And I'm talking to Jay, and I'm, he's telling me, you know, this eclipse that I'm about to see, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, but in August, the total solar eclipse will come to the United States. Okay, and it's gonna go from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea. All right, that hasn't happened in nearly a century. So I'm like, okay, sounds dope. And, and he says to me, get to totality. Get to totality. Some of you all might know what I'm talking about here, but get to totality. Oh, I'm like, okay, that, that sounds cool. What, what, what do you mean by that? So totality is this moment where the moon moves in front of the sun and 
completely blots it out in the sky during the eclipse. And what's left behind is this ethereal, wispy crown known as the corona. And the corona, as Jay was telling me, it's, 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 it's kind of mysterious, if you will. So even though we see the sun every day, or we hope to see it every day, it still has some scorching mysteries. So the surface of the sun, it burns at about 5,500 degrees Celsius, right? That's pretty hot. But the corona, whew, the corona burns at about a million degrees Celsius, right? That's, that's a huge discrepancy there. That would be like going up to a, 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 a fire pit or a campfire, you know, it's nice and toasty. But then the further back you get, the hotter it is. That just doesn't make sense, but that's what's happening with our sun. And during totality is one of the few, is honestly the, the only time that scientists can see the corona. So Jay's telling me all of this, and I'm like, that sounds dope, that sounds pretty cool. And he's just like, wait. But the visual aspect, it's cool, but it's so much more than just that. During totality, the sky gets dark during the middle of the day. The temperature drops. The birds, they stop chirping, they, float, they fly back into their nests. But the crickets and the frogs, you know, they, came out, they come out to play, they start croaking and such, making noise. And all around you, you see this 360 degree sunset. And I'm like, whew, that sounds really cool. That sounds, that sounds dope, man, I'm just being honest. And he's like, I've seen over 60 eclipses. And I'm like, wow. And he introduces me to this whole world of eclipse chasers. So he's seen them from nearly every continent except Antarctica, though he did see it like in a plane from Antarctica. He even saw one on his honeymoon. Like, I mean, that sounds romantic to me, but. <laughs> and in learning about this world of eclipse chasers, these are people who you know, travel around the world to be in the moon's shadow. They are, they're, they're, they're shadow junkies, if you will, okay? They have competitions when it comes to who has seen the most eclipses, who has spent the most amount of time in totality. And in doing my research, I ran into a guy named Mike Kentrianakis. And he's seen about 20 or so eclipses, but he went viral for an eclipse that he saw. He was on a plane, and some of you, maybe some of you saw it, I saw some, some, some laughs over here. And he's on a plane, and he's watching this eclipse happen, right? And he's screaming out, he says, oh, here it comes, oh, here it comes, look, look, Corona, I see Corona, I see Corona, totality, totality, oh! And I'm just like, okay, buddy, I mean, is it really that exciting? And he's like, Nick, it's life changing. And he was telling me how he was basically a, a, an, an eclipse Paul Revere, if you will. He went across, uh, across the line of totality to all these small towns saying, the eclipse is coming, the eclipse is coming. You know, preparing them all for, the, for, for when, you know, August 21st, 2017 was about to come. So I say to him, so you've been to all of these towns, Mike. Tell me, where will you be on eclipse day? And he says to me, Carbondale, Carbondale, Illinois. And I'm like, Carbondale, Illinois? What's that? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what Carbondale is. So Carbondale is this small college town, population about 26,000 people um, in southern Illinois. It's a, it's a college town, as I was saying, so there's a university there, Southern Illinois University. But what's so special about Carbondale is that it is 
at this point known as greatest duration. So greatest duration meant that they were going to get totality. You know, that moment when the moon gobbles up the sun and all of this amazing phenomenon happens. They were going to get it for a majestic two minutes and 38 seconds, nearly longer than anywhere else in the country. And they were also at the crossroads. So they were also going to will also experience the total eclipse when it comes back to the U.S. in 2024. So I'm like, cool, man. Okay, I got a story. <laughs> I go over to my editors. I'm like, hey, I got a good story idea. Um, I'd like to profile Carbondale, Illinois for this upcoming eclipse. Because Mike Kentranakis was telling me, you need to get to totality. So I'm telling my editors, I need to get to totality, right? <laughs> so I'm saying, I want to go there before the eclipse to see how the town is preparing. And my editors, you know, it actually took a bit of convincing because for so many people, when they think about total solar eclipses, they really think about something called partial solar eclipses. So they remember being kids, maybe being pulled out of class, going out into the, the backyard or the, the schoolyard, getting these cool eclipse glasses, looking up and seeing some shadows on the sun. And it's cool, but it's not stunning. It's not life's changing. But I'm telling them, hey, everyone I'm speaking to is telling me that this is awesome. We really need to see it. So I'm able to convince my editors to send me there because, you know, th there's a lot going on at that time. There was another huge, big orange story happening around there that a lot of reporters at the New York Times were more focused on. But luckily, I was able to convince them. So I go to Carbondale. And <laughs> so I'm, I'm talking to some townsfolks. I'm asking them. And, and, you know, it's a little mix. It's split. Some of the townsfolk are telling me, like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't care what's happening in the sky. I'm not that interested. But I spoke with this one guy who was at a bookstore, and he was like, man, I'm a, he, more or less, he's like, I'm about to make bank off of this. He's like, I'm looking at all my inventory. I'm like, how can I put an Eclipse logo on this? How can I put an Eclipse logo on that? He's like, I got koozies with Eclipse logos. I got hoodies. I got it all. I'm like, yeah, he's going to make bank. <laughs> and then I'm speaking to this other gentleman, um, Bob Bayer, who's at the University of Southern Illinois. And he is kind of their physics guy. And he's telling me how he's kind of been preparing for this for like five years or so. Um, so Southern Illinois University is getting, you know, this huge astronomical event, probably the biggest one we've had in a century. But they don't actually have an astronomy department, right? So he's like, hey, I'm, I, I told my, my, my superiors, I was like, listen, people will come because we have an X on the map, we have this dot on the map, like we, we have to prepare for this. And I'm like, this is great. So I, 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 you know, I write my story about Carbondale, Luckily, it ended up on like the front page of the Science Times, which was my first front page of the Science Times. So I was like, hey, I was feeling good. I was feeling good. And you know, I'm getting emails from people who are telling me, I'm going to Carbondale because I read your story. I'm getting emails like, oh, are there enough, um, are there more open rooms? Like, like, can I still book it? I'm just like, yeah, sure, everyone just come to Carbondale. You know, get to totality. All right. So Eclipse Day comes, it's August 21st, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling kind of good. You know, I'm like, okay, this will be fun. This will be great. I go to Carbondale, of course, you know, because I, I got I to gotta go there. I just, I just you know, I, I'm, I'm repping the town, if you will. And I'm ready to report what's happening, you know, the day of. So I'm talking to people, and it's a whole festival, okay? They have, like, like the town itself was swarmed with about 50,000 Eclipse enthusiasts, all right? All these people came in. I go to the stadium. 14,000 people lined the stadium, all right? And 
the whole thing, it's just, it's just, it's so much joy going on. You know, they have a, a Michael Jackson um, a medley going on. They have like the marching band playing music. It was a party. It was really a party. So I'm there on the field and I'm talking to this scientist and I'm just like, you know, I'm feeling good about myself because I've been running into people all day telling me I came to Carbondale because of you, man. Read that story. I'm here because of you. And I'm talking to the scientist. This is about like an hour out before totality. And I'm like, so how's, how's everything looking? And she says to me, Everything's looking pretty good, you know, except if that happens. And she points up, and I look up, and the whole, everywhere around us, it, it got dark prematurely. And I look up, and there is this big cotton candy cloud right in front of the sun. Huge cloud. And I'm just like, ah. And then after it, cotton candy cloud after cotton candy cloud after cotton candy cloud. A queue of cotton candy clouds in the sky. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I mean, Eclipse Chasers, no, you're at the whim of the weather. But I'm just like, I just invited all these people. What's going on? I'm feeling a bit nervous. Okay? So, so you know, they had an announcer, because they really went all out. So they had an announcer who gets on the microphone, and he's just like, all right, everyone, we have about 10 minutes until the eclipse. I want you all to get, you know, get loose, get ready, get ready for what we're about to experience. Um, so we're getting closer and closer, and he's doing this countdown. He's like, five. Four, three, two, one, and it's about eclipse time. I'm telling you, this cloud is right there, but we, for, the, for, for the first second of the eclipse, we see it. We see something that looks so amazing, but psh, swallowed up by the crowd, all right? <laughs> everyone's, getting, everyone's getting nervous, all right? All of our, all of our joy and all of our jubilation, it, it just turns to jitters, right? Because, you know, we're out there, and, 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 and we're ready for the show, but the star of the show is not there, right? So we're like, what's going on? So we're waiting, and the, the, the guy gets on the mic. He's like, all right, everyone, you know what? I'm going to need all of your help. I'm going to need all of your help. We're going to move that cloud. I'm like, we're going to move that cloud? He's like, all right, everyone, stamp your feet with me. Shout to the heavens, move cloud, move cloud. In fact, I want you all to do it right now. Ready? Right? said, move cloud, move cloud. All right? And, and we're looking up, we're looking up, and there's a little porthole. So we see it for an instance. We see this dazzling ring in the sky, and we're all like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then as soon as we start, it gets swallowed up again. We're all like, okay, but we're all getting super hyped because this is so cool. All right? So all 14,000 of us, we're all there. We're all stamping our feet. We're all going, all right, ready, ready? Move cloud, move cloud, ready? Move cloud, move cloud. Okay, we're getting closer and closer. And like I'm telling you, we, we had two minutes, 38 seconds here, right? So we get into two minutes and 34, two minutes, 35, boom, the cloud moves and we all behold majesty right in front of us. We see totality, we see. This ring, this wispy ring of just gorgeousness up there in the sky, right? This was a celestial Super Bowl. No one was looking at the end zone. Everyone was looking to the sky. You would have thought that we just nailed this Hail Mary pass in overtime because everyone was going wild. And then it stopped. It was over. But we all shared in this moment this, this, this beautiful natural phenomenon. And then the guy grabs the microphone again and he says, Congratulations, everybody. You've just seen a total solar eclipse. And I'm telling you, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a believer going into this. You know, I had spoken to these people and I was like, okay, it's gonna be cool. Is it really gonna be as cool as they thought? And I came out changed. And I was like, yo, 
I don't want to be an eclipse chaser now. I was like, this is, this is hell, this is dope. This is really dope. So like I mentioned, the eclipse is coming back in, in 2024 here in the US. So I really want to see when that happens. I missed it in 2020 because of, you know, the pandemic. But 2024, I will be in totality. And I encourage you all to get to totality as well. And the cool thing about being an eclipse chaser, or in my case, a wannabe eclipse chaser, is that you have your vacations mapped out for the rest of your life, more or less, right? Like in 2026, I'm going to Iceland. I'm going to see this eclipse with the Aurora Borealis. 2027, I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to chill by King Tut's tomb. I'm going to view it as well. And then, you know, if, if, if you know, I, I eat well, you know, diet correctly, exercise, you know, live a good life in 2079, the eclipse will be coming to New York City. And all of you right here in the belt, where you are sitting, you will be able to see totality, okay? Okay, I'll be 88, but it's gonna be worthwhile. And then together, we can spend the next 57 years preparing for a majestic two minutes and nine seconds of darkness. Thank you all so much for your time. That was Nicholas St. Fleur. Nicholas St. Fleur is a science reporter at STAT covering racial health disparities, and he's the host of the podcast Color Code. He's also an associate editorial director of events, creating virtual and in-person live journalism events. He joined STAT through a Knight Wallace Reporting Fellowship in 2020 to cover the intersection of race, health, and the life sciences during the COVID-19 pandemic. He won the 2021 Everett Clark slash Seth Payne Award for Young Science Journalists, and before joining STAT, he wrote for the New York Times about archaeology, paleontology, space, and other curiosities of the cosmos. Okay, before we continue with today's episode, a couple of reminders. We have tons of shows coming up, both indoors and outdoors this summer, in places like Boston, Seattle, D.C., New York, and more. You can check out storycollider.org shows for more information, or follow us on social media for updates. If you'd like to learn more about how to tell a science story, check out storycollider.org education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. Find out more at storycollider.org education. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycollider.org slash donate. You can always sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the Story Collider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. Our second story is from Jason Rains. It was recorded in June 2022 in Atlanta at Waller's Coffee Shop. The theme that night was fish out of water. All right, so um, so I'm walking back to my classroom um, after hearing that I am the brand new official coach of our newly inaugurated 
underwater robotics team, okay? And yeah, don't cheer, because I am not happy, all right? And uh, I am a bit confused and uh, a little bit um, shocked that it's happening, and probably like you, wondering what the hell is underwater robotics, right? So um, let's just get that out of the way. Underwater robotics, it's, uh, uh, I have to teach middle school students. And so uh, imagine the middle school students building this uh, submarine of sorts. And it actually, uh, it's about the size of a school box, or like a, a shoe box, maybe a large shoe box. And it's made out of uh, PVC piping. And it has like these motors that are waterproof. So shoe box, submarine, motors. And it has this long tether, like this cord that goes all the way out to a remote control. And the students put this into a pool, and in the pool, they take hula hoops, and they sink them to the bottom of the pool, a lot of them, and the kids uh, race them all the way out, you know, through the hula hoops, they fly them out, and then they fly them back, and they time it, and that is a sport. <laughs> so, as I see in your face, you are still shocked and confused, as I am. And uh, not only did I not know that that was a sport, I now know that I'm in charge of it, okay? So um, I'll tell you a little bit about me, and then I'll tell you a little bit about my school. At this time, I am uh, back in the classroom. I say back in the classroom because this was my, uh, I am, I'm, I've taught before, but this is my first year at a middle school in a long time. I had a small business that I was running for a while. The name of my school is Stone Mountain Middle School, okay? Um, I am, at this time, um, lost. I am, at this moment, recently separated, soon-to-be-divorced father of a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, and a four-year-old. And at this moment, I have lost my home, and I lost a business. So, I am lost, and I need a job, okay? Uh, I have a chemical engineering degree, uh, a little bit easier to get a teaching job than an engineering job, so I find myself at Stone Mountain Middle School. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my school. Stone Mountain is not what you would call, well, we aren't exactly known for our academics. You know those schools? Uh, we aren't exactly a, a robotics school, okay? We, uh, and we for damn sure are not an underwater robotics school. <laughs> we're more like, a, uh, we're kind of like a more news at 11 kind of school, you know what I mean? We are, we're like, uh, we're more like a regularly featured on the TV show First 48 kind of school, all right? But we're trying, we have all the markers of a struggling school, and the school leadership came up with this idea, this acronym that called STEM, and STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. And they figured that that thing right there could help change this struggling school. Um, so word on the street, I have this chemical engineering that I'm hiding in my back pocket. And they're like, I guess you would be good for STEM. And so this initiative lands on my lap. And once again, I am like, what am I doing here? Like, how is this happening? All right. Um, fast forward to the, the robots. If you think about it, I am now the new coach of this robotics team, and it becomes quite clear to me that we do not have a few things that are necessary to have a team, all right? We don't have any money, 
we don't have any, you know, not many resources, and we don't have a pool, okay? So I was like, this is going to be crazy. And so I do like most people do, I need some help. That's my, my main idea, my main thought is like, I need some help. And so I reach out to my friends, and I'm glad to see some of their faces here. And, and so, like any good friend, uh, when you ask for help, I leave out a lot of details, right? <laughs> like most of them, all right? And I'm thankful for them because they help me out so much um, and, uh, and help me get the ball started. So now I have some help. I got some kids, and we need to get to work, all right? So when it comes down to getting to work, it's funny to me because uh, this whole STEM thing has this collaboration component that goes with it, and the more we helped each other, the more we got help. And in my head, it's like this movie montage of how this thing even happened. So keep in mind, I don't know what robots are, and then the ball gets rolling, and I got these little, I'm teaching sixth graders, these little 11, 12-year-olds, and they start to work. And this like montage, I got little kids, I got little girls with you know their hair and ponytails, and they're working power drills, and I don't have a pool, so we're filling up you know trash cans with water to test it out. I got uh, you know teachers and volunteers making T-shirts with transfers and everything. It was crazy. I very much, and we had you know we were forging permission slips. It was. <laughs> No, we didn't do that. Yeah, we totally did that. What am I talking about? <laughs> we got to get these kids there. So they're getting ready. The robot's coming together. I feel like the team is coming together. But all the while in my head, I'm like still like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I'm totally faking this thing. And they're going along with me. And so no time for that because we got to compete. And so... This competition, it's called C-Perch, S-E-A-P-E-R-C-H. C-Perch is the competition. There's this big regional competition that we have to do. And so we get the kids there. My little four kids, I got four little kids. I got uh, two kids, two boys and two girls. They're 11-year-old. They're loving life. They feel great about themselves until we hit the door. And as soon as we hit the door, I could see the shift in their energy, Okay. I see these really confident kids, like, we've been working really hard, Mr. Reigns, we're ready. And the doors open, and they see the other teams, and they see the lights, and they see the pool. And I, get, I start getting questions that I had got, you know, like, where do we, you know, where, where do we check in? And where's the bathroom? And when's lunch? And why are all these white people here, you know? <laughs> and... I start to listen to them and I realize, okay, these kids really need some support. And so I look around, I see their eyes are bright. We have the worst looking robot in the building, okay? <laughs> For real. And uh, in addition to it, no shots at the t-shirt designers, but we made our own t-shirts. And so these kids, the other kids that have t-shirts that have like, you know, branding on it and corporate sponsors behind it. And all the while, like, I'm going, okay, we can do this until one of our little girls walks up to us and says, hey, Mr. Reigns, we looked at this other team, and they've practiced in a real pool 91 times. We've been in the pool two times. We are dead. So I do everything I can. I try to summon up whatever movie motivational speech I could come up with, and I tell them that you're going to be fine. And... Uh, and you belong here. 
and, and you're going to do great. And I am acting because I'm concerned as well. So you have a shook coach and shook kids. And I'm wondering again, did I bring these kids? Why did I bring them here for them to feel this way? But again, no time for pity because it's time to go, time to get into the pool. So I say, all right, guys, it's ready to go. We're ready to walk down to the pool. We're going to put our robots in the water. And they say, no, sir, no coaches on the deck. I was like, no coaches on the deck. And they look at me and I go and they walk away and they go, you got to swim on your own. Those kids got to swim on their own. So they're out there, this underwater robots, they're on the deck. They put their robots in and they say, on your market set, go. And their little robot takes off. And there's just screaming and yelling and they're hollering, to the right, to the left, further, no, yeah. They get down to the end. They come back. It's just so much chaos. I'm in the stands. I want to cry. I don't know what's happening, right? And they get to the end. And they go, did we win? And this is a flaw with underwater robots, by the way. I have no idea because you can't see in water. <laughs> so I don't know if they won. And they don't know. And it was just like the longest time ever. And so they eventually start to name out who the kids, uh, the places are. And so they say, in third place. And they don't name us. And so our kids are like, uh-huh. And they go, in second place. And they don't call us out, right? And I see the kids' shoulders go like, yeah, if we didn't get second. And it just seemed like it just hung. And then they said, in first place. And they said, Stone Mountain Middle School. And it was crazy. I mean, bonkers. Like, kids were doing cartwheels. They were crying. We were like, what? Calling mom? It was nuts. I couldn't believe it happened. I mean, it was a full-blown, like, you know, Jamaican bobsled moment, okay? Like, how did this happen? And that wind changed everything. It's pretty amazing, because I told you about my little struggling school and I talked to you about these kids, and that little spark, that little STEM thing, it was pretty cool to see them, because when you win regionals, you go to nationals. And so these four little kids who've never been on planes fly to Boston and compete in a national competition for something that they did not even expect to be in locally. And to take that even further, um, these kids go back the next year and they win it again, and they go to nationals, and they do it three years in a row. So they win it and go to nationals three times. And the thing about it is with that, in addition to that, our school caught the bug. And so when the school catches the bug, that same challenging school ends up turning into the first internationally STEM certified school in our county, middle school in our county. Yep. <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome, all right? So, as I look back on this whole thing, I think about the fact that I still say to myself, what am I doing, you know, or, or why am I here? It's still something that's real that happens to me. I'm still human. Um, but I like to think about the fact that STEM helps me answer some of those what's and why's and gives me some clarity to that. And in many ways, STEM is a way that I help others believe in themselves. And I like to think that it helps me believe in me. Thank you.
That was Jason Rains. Jason is a staunch chemical engineer turned accidental STEM innovator. For nearly two decades, he has brought a hands-on experiential approach to STEM education as a teacher, administrator, mentor, and coach to students and educators across the country. He is currently the director of STEM innovation and partnerships at Graham Moore Education Design Consultants. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and he loves sandwiches and hates mosquitoes. But honestly, who doesn't? The Story Collider is so grateful to Nicholas and Jason for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, along with me, managing producer Misha Gajewski, and senior podcast editor Jen Chen, with help from education director Lily B. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, and Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Aaron Barker, me, Misha Gajewski, and Gastor Almonte, and by Emma Yarbrough and Mesa Salida, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, We'll be back with stories about good intentions. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>